I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, your home for deer hunting news, stories, and strategies. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon, and this is episode number 133. Today in the show, Dan and I are covering a whole variety of topics. We talk late season hunting, tips for specifically targeting does, the complicated decision of choosing to shoot or pass a deer, and much, much more. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast brought to you by Sitka Gear. And today on the show, it's just me and my co-host, Dan Johnson. And we're going to be talking about a whole bunch of different things. Potentially, we could talk about late season deer hunting. We may be talking about hunting does. We're going to be talking about hunting for one specific buck. We're going to be talking about my newest nickname and probably a whole lot more. Uh, So Dan, we're shooting from the hip today. There's a couple ideas for me. What what uh, do you want to talk about? Um, monster trucks, um, sandwiches. I like that. These are just two things that I don't know why, but when you asked me, those were the first two things uh, that popped into my head. So if we could maybe incorporate those together, that might even be <laughs> like watch eating a sandwich while watching monster trucks. I'd, I don't know. I'd love to know. psychoanalyze why those were the two things that popped up first in your mind, like what that might mean about you. <laughs> or we could just uh, stick to hunting. That's that's fine with me too. Yeah. I want to start with sandwiches. Uh, okay. because last night I had a really good sandwich. We were, yeah. we were going to make this, uh, kind of Belgian stew. It's called a carbonade. Um, yep. but the roast I took out, the venison roast I took out ended up not having nearly as much meat as we thought. And so we didn't really have enough to make a really big stew. So I just took that meat instead and then sliced up into small pieces and sauteed that in the cast iron pan with some onions. And then yep. I cook. I have these little like frozen French loaves that are about the size of like a sub bun, maybe, um, yep. maybe like six seven inches long. And I cooked, baked one of those in the oven, split that down the middle, laid out this fried venison steak and onions, melted two slices of Munster cheese over top, and then I made a sriracha mayo combo and slathered that on one side. 
and it was an epic sandwich. Nice. Nice. I do the same thing similar with my canned deer meat. Uh, My mom canned my buck. A hundred percent of my buck went into, well, I shouldn't say a hundred. We cut the ribs out. We cut the back straps out. I saved a couple um, steaks or uh, roasts, but um, the rest of it was canned. We, we cubed almost all of it and canned it. Really? And then she, she pressure cooks it. Oh, it is ridiculously tender. Warm it up in a saute, you know, saute it with um, some barbecue sauce and, you know, whatever extra spices that you want to add in there. And then uh, kind of the same thing, but just with bread, toast some bread. That mixture of the deer meat goes on there, uh, some cheese, and you got yourself a deer meat sandwich. Wow. Interesting. It's ridiculously good. So if anybody's out there ever thinking about canning deer meat, do it. Do you do anything else other than use it for sandwich meat and stuff? I mean, can you take uh, that and use it for stew meat or for stew meat? Else? Anything, anything, uh, tacos, um, uh, enchiladas. Let's see. What else do we do with it? Uh, just eat it, you know, right out of the, right out of the can and slice it cold with no, and you know, put it in a, a, a piece of white bread. I mean, anything you can do anything with it. Huh? I've never, it's so, it's so, I've never had canned. It's venison. so tender. Yeah, well, I'll bring up if you come to Iowa to shed hunt, I'll bring some over. That'd be sweet. I want to try it. I've heard I've heard people say good things about it, but um, that's I had no idea that you guys did that. Yep, very interesting. It's, and I like doing it that way because my wife eat, actually eats it that way. Ah, you know? uh, yes. Um, so put a bouillon uh, when you're canning it. You put a bouillon cube into the uh, can, uh into the jar with the meat and some extra like salt and pepper and onion powder and, and some garlic powder and stuff and then you know you get it all ready can it and let it set let the let it seal and then you can it doesn't take up any freezer space so it could just sit in your cupboard yeah that's nice speaking of boyan yeah. i'm actually uh, gonna start trying to shoot a couple does here in the next well yeah, well, it could be tomorrow. If not that, then it'll probably be after Christmas. But here in the next right. week and a half, I'm going to shoot a couple of does. And one of the things I want to do is I'm going to butcher those myself, and I want to make venison stock. We've never made our own stock before. And oh, really? uh, I'm going to try to make that so that instead of using beef broth or whatever in the future, we'll just have our own homemade venison stock. So I'm kind of pumped right. about that. Yeah. And by the way, uh, my stepdad just – Earlier this year when I was down for a weekend of hunting, cooked on a Saturday, eight hours in the oven, a side of uh, deer ribs. Not a lot of meat, but the meat that's on there, oh my lord. It, uh, amazing. Really? The, the game, the, you know how sometimes you can tell, hey, this is deer meat because it has a little bit extra gaminess to it. Um you know, and I say gaminess to those people who may not like deer meat. Right. They say it's really gamey. Um, I don't think it's that gamey, but the, uh, it is. It's ridiculous. It's so how ridiculous how do you go about doing that? Because I've always heard the issue is that there's not a lot of fat on the ribs, and it's just very little meat too. So it's just like tough and not much to work with. But oh, I no. do know I do know some people can. I've heard of people doing it well. Yeah, he he puts on a a really nice rub and then he puts it in he puts it in the oven and then he puts tin foil over top of it so the moisture that's in there 
is sealed and it just kind of recirculates back into the meat and out back into the meat and out. Uh, and it is, it just, I don't know. It turns out really good. Like uh hunter gatherer cook guy. What's his name? <laughs> Hank Shaw. Hank Shaw says, you know, if you cook, you know, if you cook the shit out of stuff long enough, it's going to get tender. So that's exactly what he did with it. And, um, my buck ribs are, I'm looking forward to cooking those because there's a lot of meat on, on that guy's ribs. That's cool. A, a lot of guys don't even save the rib meat. Either they nope. just scrap it or they throw it in the grind pile and grind up some of it. But right. uh, that's interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. So did you just save each side or did you split it in two and have four chunks or what did you do? Well, we saved each side so it's two big chunks. But when we go to cook it, we'll cut it in half and uh, either cut it in half or – try to find a pan big enough to put all of them in at one time. Um, you can typically only fit one in an oven at a time, I guess, but you know, depending on how big your oven is. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Well, this has got me even more excited because I've been at this time of year, every year I, you know, I usually have shifted from not always, but usually I've shifted from targeting mature buck and usually it's just food time. So I'm excited to, uh, to get a couple does down and to go through that whole process of breaking them down myself. And that's, that's a lot of fun. Like I always find that in, for whatever reason, usually in October or November, I'm so busy with all the hunts and everything that I always feel rushed and I don't have enough time to like enjoy the process of processing yeah. my own deer. But now it's like, I'm able to take a deep breath and like you go into the evening knowing, okay, I'm doing one thing only and that's shooting a doe. And then tonight I'm going to be right. processing that doe. And like when I'm mentally prepared for it, I, I really enjoy that. So I'm excited right. to do that here soon. I might go out tomorrow night. I might do that. It's really cool. Like processing it is part of the whole circle for me, you know, like, and then I just sit there with my stepdad and BS for a while have a couple beers while we're, you know, t- breaking down the carcass. And, uh, and then it was cool because after that, uh, the next day, um, when I canned it with my mom, uh, you know, sat there conversation and I don't know, it's something that at my age with my kids and what's that age know, again, Dan, Is it... <laughs> 36 dog. Oh, I ain't man. too old <laughs> for some I reason. Be... I, I thought there was a four in the beginning. Uh, uh-uh, I'm not that old. <laughs> I'll still beat an ass or two. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. At least try. Uh... But, uh, but no, the, uh, um, but you know, it's cool. Just the whole break, you know, I don't ever get to sit down and have conversations with those people really anymore because I'm so focused on my own family. So it's really cool to sit down and have those conversations and have that time with family members who you don't typically spend a lot of time with. You know what I mean? Definitely. I've got something kind of like that. Like when my dad and I go up to our Northern Michigan property up to Mm -hmm. deer camp or up to do some work up there, that's like one of those few times where we're, we're in the car for, you know, two, three hours, usually just us. And that's a cool excuse to just have some long talks, which is, which is good for family. I think birds and the bees, right? Is that how you learned about the birds and the bees? <laughs> well, not. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I remember. I don't know if I remember exactly how that happened. Oh, <laughs> uh, we do a good job of going all over the place. That's for sure already. That's we're, right. We're talking. What were we, what were we going to talk about today? Does or something? Well, Do- we, killing we're, does. We're going to talk about killing does. I thought we could okay. talk about, uh, you know, hunting mature bucks, at the late okay. in late season, when right. you've got one in particular. 
I thought we could talk about I don't know. I mean, what, I'm gonna whatever. What I want to know real quick is I know you've read and wrote kind of an article about it, but for the guys who listen to the podcast, I want to talk about Holyfield a second. Yes, we can do that. But first, we have to take a quick pause here and thank our partners at Sitka Gear for supporting this podcast and making it possible for us to have these long, strange conversations about sandwiches and deer and whatnot. And today, I wanted to give you all a quick update on Sitka's Diverge Photo Contest. Now, hopefully, earlier this month, you were able to vote for your favorite photos because now the contest is done and the three winners have been announced. And there's a winner for each of their categories, Whitetail, Waterfowl, and Big Game. And all of these photos are incredible. They're super, super cool. Uh, I'm a particularly big fan of the Whitetail winner and the Big Game winner. So if you have a few seconds, head over to sitkagear.com slash diverge to check out the winning photos and the other 27 finalists. I think you'll find them pretty interesting. Also, we need to thank our partners at Yeti for their support of Wired to Hunt. And I want to share with you one of the big reasons why I appreciate Yeti so much. Now, yes, they make a terrific product, but they also represent something that I really connect with. And, you know, more so than just their gear, it's this connection that I'm particularly interested in. And it's their focus on stories and on this community of people who live and play in the wild. That's what really separates them from other companies trying to sell you a cooler or a coffee mug, in my opinion. And I'll tell you what, if you dig into the content that Yeti is creating and putting out there, I think you'll I think you'll connect in much of the same way that I have. Uh, in particular, if you check out the films that's been released that have been released by Yeti this year, they are just incredible. Uh, so if you go over to their website at yeti.com or their YouTube channel, you're going to find these films, these short films, and I'd highly recommend you do it. There's so many interesting ones out there. A couple of my favorites, though, include one called Cosmo, which is about a fly fishing guide out in the Sideshell Islands, which is like visually stunning, and the music's kind of awesome, and it's a cool story. And then another one called Chasing Light, which is a profile of this guy named Wyman Menzer, who's been called the Jeremiah Johnson of the Big Empty, and he was a hunter and trapper and now a wildlife photographer. And uh, that's another one that's just fascinating and just just super cool. And there's so many more like this. Lots of hunting-themed ones, fishing, uh, outdoor-related. There's another really cool one called Incurrent about uh, a river guide on the Grand Canyon. Um, so, so check these out. I think you'll find them just as interesting as I do. And you can see all that over at Yeti.com. And now, though, we can get back to the show and answer Dan's question and discuss the latest with Holyfield. Yes. Okay. And I don't want to use the term given up on him, but you've, you've had a change of thought towards this late season, late season hunt for Holyfield, right? Yeah. And I think, you know, it's just a continuation of where we were last time when we talked about this. Right. Um, and I'll, I'll kind of, I'll bring everyone up to speed if you didn't read the article or follow what's been going on recently. But, um, but yeah, so last time we talked, it had been right towards the beginning of when I started to have this weird kind of shift in mindset with this buck. Um, you know, he'd made it through the gun season. He made it through the rut. It was December, and all of a sudden he showed back up. He was here, and I I still can't explain exactly why the change happened because in all the years past, you know, I've, I've hunted 
single specific bucks for multiple years before, and I've still had the desire to kill them late into the year. Um, you know, a buck a few years ago, six shooter, I killed in mid-December. Um, but for whatever reason, with this deer, the idea of him being around in 2017 just ended up being, for a whole bunch of different reasons, I started feeling more and more like I didn't want to shoot him now. One right. of those was I didn't want the hunt to end. I was just enjoying seeing this deer so much, and the idea of ending it now almost seemed like anticlimactic in my own head. Like, I already killed two bucks. I'm going to kill a few does. Um, I've had a great season, and it was almost like like, like uh, selfish, almost. Like, I don't need to kill this deer now. Um, and... I don't know. I mean, he, I, I still, I have, a, I have a hard time still articulating all these things, but it just more and more felt like I just didn't have that drive to kill him now. Um, so that said, you and me talked about this. I talked with some friends, you know, tried to kind of talk all of these feelings out in my head, trying to like figure out what I want to do. Part of me was feeling all these things. Another part of me was like, well, he could get killed by somebody else. He could die over the winter. Um, everyone thinks you're an idiot for doing this. Dan thinks you're crazy. Um, <laughs> you know, all that kind of stuff. Like, you know, a bird in the hand is better than two in the bush or whatever. Um, so, you know, when we talked on the podcast last time, the idea I had was, well, maybe I'll leave it up to fate and I'll hunt with a bow. And if he comes within bow range, it was meant to be. If he doesn't come within bow range, it wasn't meant to be. Um, so I went out a couple times like that. And the first two times I went out, I didn't see him. Um, the third time I went out, I was set up like the first two times I just sat in like an observation stand, basically. Like I wasn't, the other thing too, is these hunts when I went out there, I wasn't even like, as I'm looking back on it now, I just, I was going through the motions. I yeah. in deep, like in my heart, I didn't want to kill him anymore, but I was like, I have to, I'm supposed to be out here. People expect me to be like, to do this. This is like, this is what I'm supposed to do. So I went out there with a bow, but I sat in my box blind the first two nights, which is not in a good spot to kill him with a bow. Um, but I was like, I just want to see if I'll see him here. Um, and so I did and I didn't. Um, but then the next time I went out, it was Monday, last Monday, and it was a great setup. It was these frigid temperatures moved in. There was snow on the ground. I was over the great late season food source. I was sitting in my hay bale blind and I was sitting out there. I was like, this could really happen. Like, there's no doubt about it. I felt like there was a very strong chance he could come into this food plot. He'd been there in daylight a few days beforehand. Um, and I sat there holding my bow. Every deer that came out, I was like, is it going to be him? Is it going to be him? But I realized it wasn't like in October and November when I was like, you know, praying and hoping like, oh my gosh, please let it be him. Please let it be him. It was actually, please let it not be him. Every time it was a doe or some other deer, I was like, ah, okay. And when it finally got dark and the hunt was done, I was relieved. And I sat there thinking about this, and I was like, you know, just trying to process this all in my head. I'm like, why am I relieved? Like, I, I don't even, I don't want to kill this buck now. I just I don't know I don't know why, but I just don't. And I was like, the logical side of my mind was trying to tell myself all the reasons why I sh still should, and all the voices in the behind, you know, all the voices in the. Uh, whatever you call it, um, you know, what people are going to say or what people would say I should do or what I should do based on what I've been doing. Um, but I went back in that night and I was just sitting there in the kitchen talking with Kylie, my wife about it. 
And I was like, just talking to her about how just this, like how I don't really want to do it, but I feel like I should. And then she's like, all right, well, like what, what are the reasons why you should, what are the reasons why you shouldn't? And I explained all the reasons why I didn't think I wanted to shoot him anymore. And basically it was because that's how I felt. That's what my gut was telling me. I, you know, I'd had a great experience and now I just didn't feel like I needed to kill him anymore. The reasons why I thought I should was stuff like, well, it would be good for the blog. It would be good to talk about, you know, or it would be like the right way to end this, this hunt because what a bummer it'd be if I didn't end up killing him. And as I was saying these things, it made me and her like, like make a face. Like I sounded like an asshole when I was saying that. Yeah. And I'm like, that's not why I hunt. I don't hunt. Right because of what other people think or I'm not going to kill a deer just because that's what quote unquote you should do and so as I was saying that I was like this is stupid like I know what my gut's telling me I know and this sounds all woo woo and I know people out there think I'm crazy and people don't there's people that are mad at me Dan I've gotten some comments and stuff (laughs) like people think I'm a jerk um as I've tried to explain this but I've just it just that's what I felt and I'm not gonna kill a buck just to kill a buck because it's what I'm supposed to do. If I don't have that 100% pure clarity of mind and conviction of that, I'm not going to kill an animal just because you're supposed to. So do I want to shoot and hunt this deer someday? Yeah, I still want to hunt this deer. And if I'm fortunate enough that he's still around next year, that would be incredible. And I'm going to hunt that deer and it's going to be awesome. But it just didn't seem like the right thing to do now. For whatever reason, now it didn't feel right. So... That was last Monday, and me and Kylie talked about it. I said, I'm not going to shoot him. I'd love yeah. to, though, still see him, and I'd love mm-hmm. to have an encounter in which, like, if I had wanted to, I could have shot him. Like, if I really was, it was like a thing for myself. Like, okay, yeah, I've chosen not to, but could I? You know, if if could I put myself in a position to? So it's muzzleloader season, so I thought, all right, you know what? I'm just going to go out, and I'm going to sit in my redneck blind, where I think is the best chance, if I wanted to kill him with a muzzleloader, and it was during muzzleloader season, if I sat there, would I have gotten a shot? And that's, I thought, I'll sit there, it'll be fun to watch him, and it'll be fun to see the hypothetical. Um, And so I went out last Friday, and I just sat there, and I brought my bow, actually, because I thought I might shoot a doe, Uh, but I sat there with that sitting on the ground, and I had the camera right in front of me, and my plan was just to film kept the windows closed I just chilled out and just watched and kind of just enjoyed it knowing with no pressure anymore with no you know none of that am I going to shoot him am I not going to shoot him it was just it was just cool to be 100% confident and okay with my decision and just see what happened and of course right at last light here he comes and he came out and came into the food plot for the first time um, well, since I've been, you know, trying to see him other than that one time with the bow when he came running through and, uh, walked out there at 65 yards. And if I had wanted to shoot him and if I had my gun, it would have been a easy, easy shot and the story would have been done. Um, and that was kind of cool. It was cool to know that if I had wanted to, I could have, but instead I just had shows that week to watch him and I was able to do that and get a little film and, um, and I feel really good about it. I'm excited about it. And uh, I'm just really stoked to find his sheds this year. Hopefully, I'm gonna do. I've I've never gone to a shed season so um, excited to try to find one deer's antlers. So, so that's where that's where things stand. Well, the cool thing about this is to to the people who maybe are upset with you, which is blows my mind that they could be angry about 
a decision that's not theirs. <laughs> but it this is just another reason why everybody hunts for different reasons, but the kill is not the most important part of the, the quote unquote hunt, right? It's just, I think, I think every hunter is on a different level when it comes to, you know, when it comes, I guess their style or, or, or their kind of hunting. And, if they're, if, you know, maybe they're into the, Hey, I got to kill something every year or my buddies will think I'm a bad hunter or I'll get shit from my family or whatever. Or are they the kind of people who they, they go out expecting to kill and they get mad if they don't, or if they're the kind of people who sit in a tree stand and just love nature and love observing nature. And, um, you know, that's not for me and you or anybody else to judge but I do think that is – it's cool that you had a little bit of a change of heart and that you decided, you know what? I'm, I'm going to let it ride and see what happens because you are now, in my opinion, an example uh, in uh, – I'll use a state like Michigan for an example where – a lot of hunters live by the it's brown, it's down motto and the quality of deer are not, you know, where other states are. So now you've let a four-year-old ride, right? He's going to, if he makes it through, he's going to be five, right? Yeah. So, so you've now walked the walk in my opinion, you've yeah. talked the talk and now you've walked the walk and now hopefully you can be maybe an inspiration to other hunters who feel that they have to kill some kind of buck for, uh, you know, as a status, or it means that, Hey, I'm a good hunter because I killed a four corn or I killed a two year old, you know, yeah. or, you know, whatever you've said, you know, you don't want Michigan to be a, um, a brown it's down state. You've walked the walk now. Yeah. So now maybe you can allow that will allow other people to say, you know what? I might follow Mark Kenyon's lead and I might, uh, you know, I might just go shoot a doe instead of killing a young buck. Yeah. It's interesting you bring that up. Um, because I think one of the big things that I've taken out of this, um, and it's, um, kind of related to what you said, because as I've been going through this, like inevitably I've gotten lots of feedback from lots of people, you know, because by default, by, because I share so much, right. I, I, I'm putting myself up there to be judged and people are right. going to let their opinions be known. And, uh, I am a human being. And so it, I, I like, I, I shouldn't let it bother me, but, but it does sometimes. So I, I constantly have to tell myself, let that stuff go in one ear or the other. Um, but because I've been getting people telling me what I should do or what I've chosen to do is stupid or blah, blah, blah. It has given me a new appreciation for the respect that I think we need to show all hunters for each of us being able to hunt your own hunt. Right. I think we all need to, and and maybe I'm guilty of this sometimes too, I probably have looked at someone who shot a year and a half old and been like, oh, why'd you do that? Blah, yep. blah, blah. And for, for what I want out of a hunt or my goals, I would like to see fewer young deer killed. But at the same time, mm -hmm. so-and-so, that might be what is the right hunt for him. And this was one of those examples, this experience for me, 
put me on the other end of that where now I was being judged for what I was choosing. And I kind of was like, whoa, like, I don't want someone telling me if I should shoot or not shoot. This is something that only I can decide. Um, And that kind of opened my eyes a little bit to to the other side of the coin, too. So I think for me, the big thing I've learned is this is to to shoot a deer or not shoot a deer isn't always going to be about the biology. It's not always going to be about the management. It's not always going to be about... um, you know, a lot of these different things. There's a whole bunch of, as we talk about so many times, there's a lot of different complicated things go into why we hunt and how we hunt and all that type of stuff. And we're each going to have our own unique take. And this is the first time for me that I've ever had this kind of unexpected kind of flip-flop. So it's been just kind of a weird thing for me personally, figuring out, like trying to understand why in my head and all that. But, um, but I feel like I made the right decision. In my article, I wrote um, that the first blog post I put up there about when I just started considering the idea of passing him, someone left this comment. It just said, uh, do what you won't regret. And um, that I kept thinking about that. And um, I kept think, I kept trying to envision the two scenarios. So I kept thinking about, like, what would I feel like if I shot Holyfield now? Like, what would it feel about pulling that trigger and walking up on him and looking at him now and what would the other feeling be like what would it be if i saw him or what would the feeling be like if i just chose not to try and kill him now and maybe i saw him and maybe he makes it through winter maybe he doesn't um but what ended up making me feel worse what ended up making me feel regret wasn't the idea of him making it through the winter or me passing him but him not making it through but what felt worse now was actually the idea of shooting him like after not being certain about wanting to do it after all. Like it felt like I still can't find the right words to describe, but almost like a dishonor to kill this deer when I wasn't even, wasn't even like sound in my own conviction of if that was the right thing to do. Like it just felt right. It started feeling wrong. When I started getting wishy-washy about it, it started feeling like it would be wrong. Like to kill an animal just because without being dead set certain within like your gut that this is the right thing to do. Right. For me, just seems like a line that shouldn't be crossed. Now, some people might think I'm getting weird and wishy-washy or woohoo, whatever. Um, but you know, I think the more we get into hunting, the more <laughs> who cares what they think. Well, yeah, yes, agreed. Um, but I think to something you mentioned earlier, like a lot of us as hunters, we go through this evolution um, where. You know, you just want to kill a bunch of stuff. We want to kill something, and then you want to kill a bunch of stuff, and then you want to kill big stuff, and you want to prove you can do it, and all these kinds of things. And I guess I think I've been, for a while I've been in that like, okay, I want to kill mature bucks. And early on, I was okay, I want to prove I can do it. And then okay, now I want to hunt for the challenge um, and all these other things. And um, I think I'm in another slight transition now where not only does it need to be um, the right set of all these different criteria, but it, it needs to be like the right. I don't know, the right something. It's got to be right. Um, right. Because I don't know. I mean, uh, I still don't have the right words to articulate it all. All I know is that I feel good about the decision I made. And I've seen him um, several more times since Friday night now. I saw him last night, and it was just super cool. And I just got to sit there being like, oh, this guy has got to make it 10 more days. And then he's going to make it this season, and I'm going to go find those sheds, hopefully. And I'm all excited about that idea of trying to find this buck's sheds. 
and um, next year maybe seeing him, hopefully seeing him. And I know there's no guarantees. I'm okay with that. Um, but I'm just I'm excited again, and I'm excited about yeah. not the idea of him dead right now, but the idea of hunting him again next year. And and maybe if it's meant to be, I'll you know put the ribbon on top. But um, but man, it's kind of cool um, that after I made my decision, I, I hadn't checked trail cameras in a while, and I checked trail cameras just now before we got on here. And since I decided, it, this is so weird, since I decided that I didn't want to kill him, so since last Monday, he started showing up in daylight on my cameras almost every single day. <laughs> <laughs> kind of a big F you to, the, to your hunting strategy. Yeah, or something. Or like he just knows. Like he's got some kind of telepathic link to my head now, and he's like, all right, Mark's not even going to try to shoot me anymore. Now I'm going to gorge myself on these brassicas. Like uh, he's going to be betting in your front yard here before you know it, dude, before you know it, he's going to be all over the place. But, uh, he, uh, he was hitting food sources on the 16th, 17th and 18th, right in the middle of the day, even like right. noon, one o'clock. Um, so he's, uh, he's comfortable and there's good food and, and good stuff. And, uh, we're just going to see what happens. But, um, but some people are sick of me talking about Holyfield based on some of the comments I've gotten, so maybe I should stop. Um, someone that I mentioned at the beginning, I've got a new nickname. I got oh, a com- that? I got a comment from someone who talked about how they're, and everyone's entitled to their own opinion. This is totally fine. Um, but he's sick and tired of my story and sick and tired of like my drama with this deer and how he just, he thinks that this deer should be called Hollywood now and I should be called Miley, like Miley Cyrus. Um, and so, you know, (laughs) I don't know what to say to that, but, uh, uh, boy. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, I'd like to know that person's reasoning for that. And I can understand it almost feels like, you know, if I'm going to be speaking my mind here, it almost feels like. I know, I know it's not what you're doing, but it's like, hey, look at me, everybody. Um, I am. I've decided to pass this deer because I want to see it live, and I want to see what I can do as a hunter to expand my blah blah. You know, whatever. That's not what you're doing, but you know, I can see how people could perceive that as some kind of, I don't know, publicity stunt, maybe. I don't know, but I know that's not what you're doing. So. Um, but Miley Cyrus is a pretty cool nickname for Mark Kenyon. If uh, if uh, if I have to start calling you something, I might call you Miley. I'd rather you not. But <laughs> okay, all right, I won't. I won't. There's got to be something better out there. But uh, but yeah, I I just I I don't I don't care what people think. I got to I've got to do what I feel is right. And I've never gone into this, you know, whether it be my writing or this podcast or anything. You know, I'm I'm never going to do I'm never going to change how I hunt or what I'm doing because that's what people want me to do or because that's right. what's going to sell articles or because that's what's going to sell whatever. If I do that, I've lost what I'm I've lost the whole reason and like the core of what I'm trying to do here. So all I'm going to ever do is I'm going to hunt and evolve as a hunter and do my own thing as I grow as a hunter and figure things out and try new things and have some success and have some failures. I'm just going to do my thing and I'm going to share what happens along the way. That's what I've always done. That's what I'm going to continue to do. And some people aren't going to like that and that's okay. And there's other guys that, you know, they can follow. And if someone is interested in my journey, that's great too, but I'm just going to do my journey and, uh, 
that's that's all I can do. <laughs> that's that's awesome. That's awesome. I mean, that's all, that's the, that's how you got to live your life. Who cares what anybody else thinks about anything, hunting or not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get frustrated, but I shouldn't. Like, why why should I care? I shouldn't. I don't, but I do. <laughs> you hear me? I sound like a, <laughs> I sound like a crazy person. <laughs> you know, I'll be honest. I went through a period of time. And I think we discussed this on one of the previous podcasts. It's been a while though. You know, some people get, uh, like bone envy, right? They're like, Oh man, that guy shot a giant buck. Now I need to shoot a giant buck or, or, or I'm nobody man. Right. That's for the birds. Right. And number one, you can't do that. You can't shoot. You can't do that. If you're shooting four corns, number one, another, another thing, and this is kind of spinning off into a, what pisses me off and, and it, some of it has to do with social media. Some of it has to do with hunting expectations and stuff like that. You hear these people go, you know, I only hunt for the meat, but I, I want to be a big buck hunter. Okay. That's cool. Uh, for, you know, first and foremost, I hunt for the meat. Well, if first and foremost you hunt for the meat, you should shoot the first deer that walks by your stand, regardless if that's, if that is what, how you're hunting. Second, if you're hunting, you know, if you want to hunt big bucks and you, you know, we talk about this every, all the time, people who bitch about, you know, not having big deer in their area, but they're part of the problem and they shoot the smaller bucks. If you want to kill something, kill a doe in certain parts of the country, there's plenty of does out there. So you don't need to shoot a buck, man, eat your tag, eat your tag every once in a while your buck tag every once in a while. It's okay to do. I've done it for, I've done it. Let's see this buck that I shot this year in 10 years, I've shot four bucks. So I have eaten my tag six years out of those 10 years. So it's okay. If you want to, if you want to fill your freezer and I, I tend to be successful at that every year, shoot a doe. Sorry, I blacked out. What was I? <laughs> I think you were talking about monster trucks, right? Monster trucks. <laughs> <laughs> no, dude, I, I totally hear what you're saying, um, and you're right. I mean, it's like there's it's it's such a messy thing because I agree with you in that if this if you're talking about wanting to shoot big bucks and stuff, but then you shoot a little one, well, yeah, you're part of the problem. Um, yeah. And would I personally like to see more mature bucks? Absolutely. Um, would I like to see a healthier deer? Absolutely. But at the same time, I'm also like we were talking earlier. I also, I also don't think I should be telling so-and-so that if they really do like shooting young bucks and that is what they love, it's not my place to say, don't do that. Right. Um, so like I see both sides of the coin. It's interesting dilemma. Like you, like you look at like, uh, the antler point restrictions in some States, I get a lot of questions from people, um, saying, do you support antler point restrictions or will you join our petition to support antler point restrictions um, and stuff like that? And I, I'm a little weird on this one because for me personally, I would like to see antler point restrictions in place in Michigan for me selfishly personally, because that would mean that more young bucks would get passed. That would mean there might be some older deer. There might be better age structure. There might be bigger bucks, all things that would be great. Um, so for me selfishly personally, that I like that idea. But on the other hand, do I have the right to in to to push my own desires onto someone else? Like what happened? What about my dad 
who doesn't have the desire to kill a buck, who hasn't killed a buck in for a really long time, and all of a sudden he finally gets a shot at one and he can't shoot it because I didn't want people to shoot young bucks, but it would have been his buck of a lifetime. This is all hypothetical. Right. Um, right. But, you know, I, I'm starting to, like, look at these things a little bit differently, and um, and there's there's no clear-cut answer on that kind of thing. Um, but when it comes to that, my thought process has always been um, I would rather see, and this is totally, now we're getting to specifics, but a lot right. of people are always asking me if I would support antler point restrictions in Michigan and all that kind of stuff. And they have antler point restrictions up in northwestern Michigan, and it's awesome. Like, I like, personally, selfishly, I like it. We're seeing more older deer, bigger deer. This is cool. Um, and if it happened in the rest of the state, I wouldn't complain at all. Like, I personally would be happy about it. Um, but an alternative idea would be the one buck rule. So instead of being able to kill two bucks, um, you can only kill one buck. But you can kill any size buck, any antler point buck. But I think that achieves both goals. On one side... If you do want to shoot the first buck you see, you can still do that. Um, but that's your only buck tag. Now you're done. Um, right. But because of that, more people would pass on younger deer because they don't want to be done. And so it would right. also improve the age structure. It would improve more bucks would get passed. So it would accomplish both goals. Um, but that's neither here nor there. Um, but if you work for the DNR in Michigan, consider that. <laughs> that's my right. little pitch. You know what I also like, and I think Wisconsin did this for a while, was an earn a buck. In right. order to shoot a buck, you had to go and shoot a doe. People I don't know why it. I like that. I don't know what kind of scientific research was done to establish that that law, but I really like that. Yeah, and, and yeah, personally, I think it's I like it too. A lot of people hated it though, and still in like Minnesota and Wisconsin, like. Because of like the stuff I've done with the National Deer Alliance, I'm like every day I'm searching for news related to deer and deer hunting. Um, so I'm seeing all the news articles across the country related to deer, and there's always people throwing a fit in some of those states about declining deer populations and too much of a doe harvest and too much of this. And so when they did have that earn a buck, that was like a big thing. People, uh, I can't speak for everybody, but there were a lot of complaints about that being something that was driving the deer population down. Um, but in a lot of cases, in many populations, especially 10 years ago, um, a lot of deer populations, from what I understand, were really overpopulated for the habitat, for what they could support. Way too many does compared to bucks, way too many deer in general. And I think in the last five years, we've seen a little bit of a reduction across a lot of parts of the country, especially the Midwest. Right. A lot of people kind of cried bloody murder about that, but maybe it was just kind of a rebalancing. Um, I don't know, but... Um, but that's a whole interesting thing too. You know, even in Iowa, and we don't have any point restrictions in Iowa, but I'd like to see point restrictions even in Iowa. I mean, it just, I don't know. That's, again, me, just like you, being selfish about what, you know, the quality of bucks that are in the area, you know, and it, it may it may stop someone from shooting a, a four-corn and shooting a doe instead. To, to, to fill their freezer, which means that buck gets one more year or however many years until he, uh, you know, ends up growing enough antlers to get shot. But I don't know. I think that's just kind of a cool way. And antler point, re point restrictions, even in Michigan, I think some of that, some of those laws are put in to maybe for, for a financial reason for the state 
you know, maybe if uh, we put antler point restrictions and the bucks get bigger, we may have more out of state people wanting to come to Michigan to hunt deer. Thus, we get more money to the state. Yeah, which help, which helps. So yeah. I certainly think that that going to the one buck rule in Ohio, Indiana, yeah. and Kentucky has contributed to those two three states becoming so much more popular for out of staters. Right. Um, so yeah, there certainly is a potential for that. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. And man, I just had something on the tip of my tongue I wanted to mention about this, and now I'm I totally forgot what were you, what were you just saying before you were talking about. Uh, earn a buck. Let's see. We talked about earn a buck. We talked about antler restrictions, you know. Oh, I know. I know. I okay. Know. <laughs> Talking about young bucks. I wanted to mention the a bummer thing is that of all the bucks that I – so even though, like you mentioned, how I could be an example for someone passing a buck and letting it go in Michigan, um, and yes, I am trying – hopefully having this buck make it another year, which would be great um, – but some other people have commented that I live in this unrealistic situation where there's mature bucks like this. No average Joe could ever pass on a buck like that. Um, and that's not true at all. I'm not in an unrealistic situation at all. All the bucks that I passed this year have disappeared. So all the up-and-comers that I was hoping would make it, they're all dead or gone. Um, so I'm just lucky that this one made it. Very lucky that this buck is still around because all the other deer I was hoping would be around for next year, Foreman and Frazier and um, another buck I was getting pictures of, I was calling Mayweather and a two-year-old that would have been a nice one next year, I was calling Pacquiao, they're all gone. So I've got Holyfield and like three spikes is all I've seen for the last month and a half. (laughs) So... It's, they were telling uh, they were telling you you don't live you have unrealistic expectations or unrealistic hunting yeah, property. Yeah, there was a comment I can't remember where it was that I read, but they were talking about how you know it's unrelatable that I can pass deer like this in my manicured food plots and my special managed properties and such and such and such like that. And I'm like, well, buddy, you you obviously don't know the situation because this i'm surrounded by half a bajillion hunters and i am fortunate in that i'm the only person that can hunt this piece but i don't own it i'm surrounded by hunters everything gets killed every year except for maybe one if i get lucky so it's better than some places but certainly not as good as others um you just got to make the best what you have right and a po- you know how big's your food plot half acre half acre okay so you have a half acre food plot you know to me that's doable I don't lease any property. I don't own any property. I planted, it was probably a quarter to a half acre food plot of brassicas this year. Um, it was my very first, and I, I, in total, I probably spent 200 maybe $300 on it. Um, I rented the equipment, or I got the equipment to help plant it for free. And as far as like an unrealistic expectation, that is that should be within almost... I don't know, not everybody's, but if you want it bad enough, you're going to do it. Now, you're not, I don't look at you and say, oh, there's Mark Kenyon. He's a celebrity hunter. He's going to 300, you know, $3,500, $5,000 a week outfitters, you know, to shoot a buck. He's not on, he's not going out West and hunting private ground for elk or mule or whatever. He's not, he's not hunting high fence. You know, it's like, that right there is unrealistic. You're, if anything, you are 
you are realistic. You're doing what everybody else is doing. We are doing what everybody else is doing. Maybe not from a public land aspect where you're not hunting on public ground in Michigan or Ohio, and I'm not hunting a lot of public ground, but you're still like, I, I would compare myself to the average Joe any day of the week. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, we are, we're certainly way more average Joe than anyone on TV. That's for right. certain. Um, but oh, hey, I want to tell you about my high fence hunt that's coming up. Oh, perfect. <laughs> uh, I'm just pulling your leg, yeah, Mark. I know. And I, I, don't, I hope I'm not complaining too much. I hope I'm not sounding like I've been complaining this whole episode about like negative feedback because I, 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 you know, I put myself up for that because I do this. I know that's expected. It's going to happen. I, I apologize if I sound like I'm complaining. I'm not. And I appreciate people even paying attention and giving a rip at all. I guess. So, you know, there's that. Well, there's still some hunting time left, so I don't know. Were we going to talk what we're going to talk <laughs> about something like we were actually related to maybe some deer hunting strategy today, weren't we? We were, and then I just started ranting and we've right. ended up down this weird corkscrew. I've kind of I've kind of fed you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're a bad influence. Um I did want to talk strategy a bit, but while we're transitioning here, uh, let's take a quick second and take a break to thank our partners at Redneck Blinds for their support of this podcast too. And today we've got a quick story from hunter Jimmy Seitz about how Redneck's hay bale blinds have been helping him on his own hunts. I've always taught, like in my deer hunting seminars, to hunters, if you go and put a ground blind up, one of these pop-up blinds, no matter what the camo pattern is, you better put it out about two weeks in advance, at least a week in advance. Let the deer get used to it, and even then brush it in. Go cut down some cedar limbs and take some wire and, and you know, make it, hide it as well as you possibly can. Mm-hmm. Well, then I see the, the redneck bell blind come along. Danny sent me one. I took it out and, and used it. I set it up, and two hours later, I had deer on me. The same day I set it up, I killed an eight-point buck with my bow out of the blind okay it was uh, it was mind-boggling and it's because deer in most places where we hunt deer are used to round bills so unless you're in the middle of the provincial forest uh all the way up in canada where there are no fields within 200 miles (laughs) the deer are going to see round bills they just do and they don't think a thing about it i've tested this over and over last year i was in kansas i was on del morrell's lease it's free range it's about 1,800 acres. I'm uh, trying to, to pattern some deer that I can shoot that are mature. And I take the uh, redneck bell blind out on a Sunday afternoon after church, place it next to a greenfield. Um, I'm right on the edge of a greenfield in some high grass. We place it at about 1 o'clock. By 3 o'clock, we have deer on us. I counted 22 deer within shooting range of that blind that afternoon, including a young 10-point buck. None of them were spooked by it. And I've actually seen similar things myself. In fact, just last week, I had deer five feet from me in my hay bale, and they had no clue. Now, as I mentioned in previous episodes, Redneck is offering a great deal for Wired to Hunt listeners through the end of this year, so we're running out of time. But if you use the promo code WIRED, W-I-R-E-D, at checkout on the website for Redneck Blinds, you can get $100 off one of those hay bale blinds or 50 bucks off their soft side blinds, 20 bucks off their portable hunting chairs or feeders. So... Check that out over at redneckblinds.com. And now let's get back to the show. You know, I thought two things we could do. Um, you know, for those that are still trying to fill a tag, 
I thought maybe we could reiterate some of like our best late season um, philosophies. Um, Cause right. I feel like when it comes to late season hunting every year, it, I kind of, my thoughts and strategy on that get tighter and tighter. Like I feel really confident with a few core things that if you haven't heard some of our past late season episodes, excuse me, that would be something that could be helpful. Um, and then maybe take a few minutes to talk specifically about doe hunting because that's something we don't talk a lot about, but um, is worth mentioning. And I get a lot of questions like, you know, if I'm just trying to kill a doe, does the advice that you guys talk about all the time, does that still apply? Um, so I guess let's talk about that first. When you're out there, I'm kind of curious for you, Dan, when you're out there trying to kill a doe, when you're going to a doe hunt, are you hunting differently than when you are out there trying to kill a four-and-a-half-year-old buck? Uh, absolutely not. I mean, late season, the rule of thumb, find the food, right? That should be the most important thing, find the food. And here in Iowa right now, we have about where I'm at, we have about five inches, maybe a little bit more, you know, inches of snow on the ground. And that kind of helps me in a way I can find well-used trails, right? I can, I need to go look for their food source, which is a crop field, which can be, you know, standing corn, standing beans, any field that may have gotten picked and maybe the combine's pretty, uh, um, inefficient. But if you're, if you're hunting a specific buck over a specific food source, there's a good chance that you're going to be running into some does as well. So if, if I'm hunting a buck late season, a specific buck, I'm, I'm more than likely going to be running into does as well. So that same kind of motto's, motto applies for any deer really is find that late season food. Yeah, I think I agree. I think the only difference is that you can just get away with a little more um, in that, you know, when we're targeting, let's say, a specific buck, I know that if I go in there and hunt a couple times and spook a deer or leave scent or something, I'm reducing my chances of him showing up later. Um, while I don't need to be as concerned about that when I'm hunting does because it's likely there's going to be doe there the first night and the second night and the third night. And as long as I'm not doing something really stupid and spooking all those deer, you're you're probably going to have them coming in. Um, so I'm just not as selective as with my days. You know, we talk a lot about picking the right days to hunt. I'm way more selective when it comes to that when I'm targeting a buck, when I'm targeting a doe. Almost, especially this time of year, as long as it's not crazy hot, if you've got good late season food, there's a good chance that there's going to be some does coming to that food source in the evening, no matter if the moon's right or if the barometric pressure is right or whatever. Um, So that's one thing. I will say one thing I've noticed is you do still have to be really careful about getting busted by those old matriarch does because if they catch you in the tree stand once, I've seen many times where these does, the same I don't know if it's the same doe, but um, you see the big old mama come into the food plot and will look right at your tree, right there where she saw you last time, to see is that sucker up there again. Um, so you can't get away with too much with the old mother does. Right. You still got to be set up well. You still don't want to be walking out of there, you know, through the food source and spooking all the deer out at the end of the hunt, that kind of stuff. Um, so, but yeah, I agree. For me this year, I mean, if I go out tomorrow night, I'm going to be going to one of these same food plots where all these deer are just, they're just killing it right now. Um, yeah. This is brassicas. Have you been speaking of, have your brassicas, did, you did plant brassicas, right? 
Right, right. Now I haven't hunted my uh, hunted that property or checked that trail camera yet late season, but after the leaves started to fall, they started to get covered up. And yes, they were eating the brassica leaves, but I think I planted my brassicas too late for my specific area because I feel that the late, as the sun started getting lower in the sky, you know, at the closer it got to the end of the year. So I planted in, in late August, September, October, they weren't getting the sun that they needed. And I think I mentioned this before, but I think I overseeded as well. So they didn't grow as big as a brassica probably should have grown by now or, okay. you know, by, by October, but they were still visiting the food plot. They were still, um, bed, even bedding in it, uh, coming through it, um, that, uh, I tore down a gate, but left the, the post, the gate posts up, turned one of them into uh, a mock scrape tree. And, uh, they started using that. So it worked but it's not like it was, it was almost like, Hey, I'm going to stop and eat here on my way through. It never became a destination, so to speak. Right. Which, which, yeah, sounds like a lot of those things could be the case. And because right. of the size of it being relatively right. small, it's always going to kind of be a, a pass through location, but right. uh, I'll be interested to see if they're hitting it late season. Cause man, um, I just, they, you know, if you, to have a, there almost no other time of year, does a food plot help as much as during the late season when right. most of the other crops are down? And if you've got the standing food, whether it be standing beans or standing corn or a brassica food plot like this with turnips and rape and kale and all that, holy crap. I mean, they are just in it so hard right now. I would just, like, right. I, like I said, I went to go check my camera. And, um, man, it is just, it looks like a, like a war zone with all the right. dug up holes and craters where they've been digging out turnips and stuff um and they're there almost all day they're in there in the morning they're in there in the middle of the day they're in there in the evenings um so i'd say the other thing when it comes to late season both whether it's for does or bucks is again keeping the pressure low because especially at this time of year these deer have been hunted for two months or three months so they're especially wary about hunting pressure and um i do think one of the reasons why Holyfield is still so active on my property here is number one, I've got the good food for this time of year. And number two, I've been so selective with what I hunted since November 8th, between now and November, since now and November 8th, I think I've hunted this property four times total, maybe five times total. Like I've hardly hunted at all. Um, and I think if I was hunting it a ton, this buck would not be present or as active as he is. So I think that's something that, um, is something to always keep in mind. So, um, so yeah. one thing I would like to add uh, late season and it, it, a lot of it depends on how extremely cold the temperatures are, but I've noticed that once these deer find a food source, they will continue to go to this food source until it is gone. Right. So let's say there is uh, your, I'll use your brassica, uh, food plot, for example, they'll go there until and and continue to go there until it's gone or the snow's off and they can start finding browse elsewhere. But they're going to be bedding really close to that food source, especially if the weather conditions are brutal. They're yes. not going to want to uh, expend any additional energy, you know, walking an additional 500 yards to a different bedding area. They're going to be bedded as close as possible you know within reason for their safety but 
you know, it's just going to, and typically that's why you're, you see these deer come out, you know, in these brutal conditions, you know, all, all day long is because they need that energy to stay warm. Yeah. That's a, that's a huge point that you made. And, um, like that was one of the big learning experiences for me when I start hunting late season more around some of these crop areas. Um, I started, <laughs> I, I messed up a few times where when I, when I started hunting this area down here in Michigan for the first time, um, I was seeing all these deer come out and feeding in this cut cornfield. And I remember once I thought, okay, I'm going to sneak in there and hunt the edge of this cornfield that I never had hunted before. And I went sneaking in there in the late season and I got to within like 30, 40 yards of the edge of the field and like 30 deer erupted out of the cover, like 20 yards in off the field and just blew out of there. And ever since then, I've just known that these deer are bedding as, like you said, as close as they can safely be to that food. Um, so having an access route in there that takes that into account and thinking about your stand placement, um, is very important. And then the other thing, especially if you're trying to target a buck again, is you may want to observe a few times before going in more so than during the rut. I mean, during the rut, you can get in there and stuff's going to happen. But at this time of year, again, you screw it up a couple times. The big boy is probably not going to show up. So sit away from where you think's good the first time or two or whatever, if you have the available time and watch and figure out specifically, okay, this is where they're coming from. This is where they're entering. This is the wind they're using. And then, you know, like we always say, we, we say it a thousand times, but you know, drone strike it, figure out the specifics and then strike when you know as best as possible what the situation is. And that's super important this time of year. And late season, if there's snow on the ground and you found a food source, it's going to be very easy to find where these deer are coming because there's highways leading to the food source. If you have standing crops or if you have, um, you know, any type of ag field that's been picked, you're going to, you're going to see the trails in the snow. So it's almost a no brainer, especially if you're just going to set up maybe an observation stand for that first hunt, walk in to the very first trail that is heavily used set up within, you know, make sure your, your wind's right. But that's your, that's the, that's your first observation stand. Nothing comes down there during daylight. Bump to the next one that's entering this food source. Yeah. So I love I love snow at this time of year. I mean, having yeah. snow out there makes it so much I don't know if it's easier, but I guess I mean it's just it it you get to see something that you usually wouldn't see. And um I love just kind of scoping out my property this time of year and you just see the travel corridors just black and white. It's so easy now to see where these deer consistently travel and like, for example, on this Michigan property that uh, I've been hunting so much, you know, I've gotten to know where these corridors are, but it's cool to see it written out in the snow, confirming what I've seen historically. Well, yeah, they're, they're doing the same thing today, and uh, that's kind of cool to see. And don't shoot a shed buck. My stepdad, uh, during first season shotgun this year, found a shed antler, and there's there's pictures already of guys um, out there who are getting trail camera pictures of shed bucks. So if you're out to kill a doe and a doe, doe only be very observant about what you're shooting. Yeah, that's a good point. I, uh, I seen the same thing. People posting those pictures and that would be, that would be a serious bummer to accidentally shoot, especially if it's a buck you've been after for a long time to accidentally shoot right. him after he sheds. Right. I, uh, that would be a worst case scenario. No doubt about that. 
So is it your daughter that's hooting and hollering back there, or is it one of the kids that your wife's babysitting? Man, I don't know. <laughs> I, <laughs> could be, could be one of them. <laughs> how do you My, handle? Uh, how do you handle all these children all over the place? I crawl into a hole. Like I have podcasts. <laughs> I, I, I try to do as many podcasts as I can within a within a week so I don't have to deal with that until like the parents come home then I can kind of sneak out put my head out <laughs> I got my office upstairs now so I uh, uh what are you doing can you help me out here no I got a podcast uh, yeah. I got to do and it's just me with my headphones on looking uh-huh. at a blank computer screen so right. sometimes I just fake it that's good how is how's the new office coming it's pretty good I got my sheds up here I don't have them hung yet but I got a I'm trying to I'm trying to figure out where I'm going to put my desk, whether I'm going to put it in the closet and turn it into kind of like a re- recording studio for the podcast. Um, and then I hang and hang my mounts up in different spots. I haven't really made that decision yet, but uh, so would the would the closet include soundproofing? Yep. That sounds like a good yep. idea. <laughs> I know. And it might it also might be a secret hideout too yeah. where I uh, I go in and disappear for a little while, but yeah. What what were you saying a second ago? I interrupted you. You were about to mention oh, something. I was gonna. My daughter. She's in that. Uh, I don't know. She finds pooping interesting now. So she <laughs> so she announces to everybody that she poops. So awesome. we were walking. Yeah, we were in Target the other day, and the lady goes, "How are you doing?" You know, we're checking out. Would you like a sticker? Yes, I would like a sticker. I pooped in the big girl potty today. <laughs> 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 like like father like daughter <laughs> right so just imagine if that continued on through throughout our life so it was like uh would you like paper or plastic uh i would like plastic because i pooped in the big boy potty today <laughs> oh kids yeah it's uh my life is a circus it's hilarious like my son he's starting to get these he's he he's gonna be a comedian I swear to God, he's making all these funny facial expressions and already like, yeah, just like when he walks into the room, he, he kind of has his shoulders back and his head up and he does this little waddle and, uh, this big old cheeser grin on his face. And it's pretty cool to see until, but, but when they're sleep deprived, they both turn into a-holes and, uh, (laughs) then that's when it, that's when it really gets, it gets interesting. Yeah, I imagine. I can't wait till you you have a kid and you know it's like how how bad can being you know how bad can being a parent really be and then you have these thoughts in your head like I wonder how much I could get for them if I sell them wait I can't I'm not supposed to think about that I'm a loving father I should never think about selling my children but then you actually have that random thought come through your head you know when one of them's covered in their own feces well it could be their own feces and the other one's you know been crying for 15 minutes because you gave her a blue cup and not the pink cup um, you know that kind that kind of stuff Man, I'll tell you what, I uh, I don't I don't Just know what I don't know what I'm gonna do. Mark. I don't know what I'm get gonna do. Get a vasectomy. Do. Focus on your blog for the rest of your life. If you want kids, go to your in-laws and you know your your sis your wife's sister or whatever. Uh huh. Play play with them. Get their fix. Then go hunting. And you know, if you want to pass, you know, if you want to pass on the hunting tradition to someone, and volunteer at a school. <laughs> at the same time. I love my kids and I love my family, but let's be realistic. Kids can be a-holes. That's, I'm just going to leave it right there. 
that that I could love, be our. I love I love my kids. Could be our closing our closing thoughts. It's, we got a good balance here, Dan, because I know there's people <laughs> that listen to me talk about what I do, and they just shake their heads and they're like, "That guy's a jerk. He doesn't have kids. He has no idea." And then they get to hear you, and they're like, "Ah, someone can relate." So. <laughs> You know, then you got the other guys. Is why is Dan even on the show? All he does is bitch about his his kids all the all the time. <laughs> That's true. So we've we've got a couple people in each of our corner. I bet so. Well, I think that's probably a good place for us to wrap it up, Dan. Anything else? Uh, anything else you sh- we should we should leave things with here? Um, I don't think so, man. Uh, good luck. You know, to all the listeners, good luck late season. Hopefully, you uh, get what you know, get what you're going after, and uh, yeah, I think that's a good idea. Good luck to those out there, and then shoot. Before we know it, we're gonna have one more episode this year, and then it's 2017, and we're gonna be starting the whole cycle all over again and dreaming about what's gonna happen next year and shed hunting and scouting and all sorts of crazy stuff. Can you believe that? I mean, I see, man, my season's not over yet. I, I, I honestly don't want to think about that yet because, like, I'm going on an elk hunt in Colorado uh, next year. So I'm like, I'm thinking about that a little bit, but I don't want this season to be over yet because I've spent so little time in a tree this year. Yeah, you have you since your rut? How many times have you since your rut kill on November third? How many times have you got to hunt, or is that should we not make that public? Zero. What? I haven't, I haven't, I what? have not been in a tree stand since the night I killed my buck. Oh my gosh. I had no idea. I yep. thought that you were still heading out, you know, shoot a doe or you, you told me that you were still going to go out there and maybe try to shoot a second buck. Yep. I got until what January 9th is when I leave to go to the ATA show. So between now and then, and temperatures are supposed to be in the mid, uh, in the uh, mid to mid thirties to high, low forties for the next 15 days. So yeah, you missed the window. This is this last right. week or two has been the great late season weather, right? Not bow season yet. Why haven't we been talking about this? I don't know. I don't want to talk about it. I'm depressed. What? And plus, I, and plus I have to go uh, mail some packages for my wife. Uh, so we have to end the podcast now. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> All right. Well, maybe next week we'll talk about Dan's late season strategy. How about that? Oh, but but Dan, didn't we want to talk about the Nine Finger Chronicles real quick before we go? Yeah, sure. Um, well, the Nine Finger Chronicles, in a way, is kind of like the ex- an extension of the Wired to Hunt podcast. I mean, on the Wired to Hunt podcast, we talk a lot about strategy and actually how to kill the big deer, but... I've been I I was getting a lot of emails from guys asking me about products and it kind of lit a fire in my head. You know, no one no one is out there doing uh, a bow hunting podcast on actual products. So I had this idea to start the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast and it revolves around product gear and information. So, you know, we have a lot of people come on the show. For example, um, we had an engineer from bare bow come bare bows, bear archery, come on the show and talk about the, the products, uh, the product design, the innovation, the company history, um, and everything that kind of goes into the actual product. It's not, uh, some celebrity or it's not somebody who's getting paid to rep 
the product. Uh, the information is coming right from the horse's mouth. And, uh, and then we, we have product reviews where I have average Joe's come on the show and they talk about, uh, their experience with certain products and uh, it's a completely unbiased opinion of these products you know these guys aren't repping the product they're not getting paid to rep the product so in a way it's information useful information to to my listeners uh, about all these different random products that are in the uh, in the bow hunting industry I guess you could say uh, and we cover everything from trail cameras to Oh, bows, tree stands, everything, broadheads, arrows, everything that a bow hunter needs, we, we, we cover it. And then the, the second part of the podcast is the hunter profiles, which in, in the BS sessions that I do is what I call them. And it's two, it's, it's basically average Joes who have had successful hunting seasons. And I'm not talking about, you know, big bucks you ha- in order to be on the podcast, you have a to kill a big buck. I mean, these are people who define success in their own ways. So, you know, a lot of it revolves around bow hunting. So we talk about the properties that they hunt, whether it's public or private. We talk about, you know, the history they've had with this deer, the setups, you know, it's basically a story of an individual's hunting season or hunting two or three seasons or, uh, an actual profile of a buck that they've hunted for a certain number of years. And, uh, the BS sessions are just that two guys BSing about bow hunting. So, um, it's just something that I love to talk about and I figured, hell, why not start a podcast? Where'd you get that idea from? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no. So you, you, you started nine finger chronicles, uh, in addition to your help over here, you started that like last fall, I think, or last winter. So it's been about a year. And one of the things I always wondered, especially when you were just getting started out, was when you're having these guys on from these different companies, they work for this company, this brand. Yeah. I always wondered how much of the time they're blowing smoke up your butt. You know, they're they're hyping their product and they're saying all these big things. How much do you think that happens? And then have you ever had to challenge someone because you just know it's BS what they're saying? Have you ever had to be like kind of call them out like, are you sure your product can really do that? Yeah, um, in a way, yeah, I'm, I'm not I'm not going to ask them straight out. If, if they're telling me that their product's going to do something, then, you know, I'm not the person who wants to make the decision on that product or call them out on it. That's the job of the listeners. I'm basically a conduit for information from that company to the listeners ears. And yes, yes, I've had to play devil's advocate a few times on some of these companies who, um, their claim may be a little bit, uh, I guess louder, you know, they're, they're pounding their chest a little bit louder than maybe what they should. I'm not going to try to knock them down, but I will question it because it deserves to be questioned. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, it does. And I guess that's probably partly where your kind of listener reviews come in too, because the people that heard these things can then go try the products and come back to you and, and tell you what they actually thought about some of this stuff, which is kind of cool. Right. And the cool thing about it is it's all walks of life, guys, guys, and even gals, all the walks of life who come on the podcast and, uh, and chat and you're getting 
you're getting product information from the people who actually spend the money to purchase it and who are using them on, you know, a, a daily basis throughout the hunting season. So, you know, when, when me and you look for products that we're going to purchase, we're looking at reviews, you know, we're looking at the, the people who are satisfied or unsatisfied with them on a, on a yearly basis and basically see what they have to say. It's awesome. That's definitely, I mean, it's, the kind of stuff that we want when we're when we're shopping is getting a real unbiased review from people that are super serious just like we are so uh, yep. uh the one thing i'm curious about is have you ever had someone on your show that's as weird as me <laughs> dude you're not weird you're not weird you're saying I'm, there's weirder <laughs> there's weirder people out there there's weirder people but and and i i feel that i'm weird well and yeah you are i'm very weird so I think that's why that's why that all works. You're and right. that's why that's why this works, you know, me and you. So it's very true. It's very true. Well, hey man, I think that's awesome. I'm so glad that, you know, the podcast is doing well and that you're having fun with it and finding it valuable and that's awesome. That uh have we met have we hit the one year mark? Yep. October of this of 2016 was the one year mark. I've broken my hundred episode mark, so I I'm pretty happy with the way everything's going and from the, the feedback I get from the listeners, uh, they're, they're happy with it too. So it's just kind of a blessing. And I know you, you joked about it earlier, but it, it's a lot of this is kind of, uh, an offspring of the wire to hunt podcast. I mean, you, you kind of motivated me to, to start this. And I think it's just an extension of what, you know, we, we as hunters, talk about on the wired to hunt podcast so i owe you a thank you as well uh, not a problem at all dude i'm excited for you excited it's going well and uh yeah so if you haven't checked out nine finger chronicles yet which i think a lot of you probably have but if you haven't yet search it out on itunes uh or your website and what's what's the url again dan ninefingerchronicles.com all spelled out perfect all right man well, now we really are going to shut it down and uh, go go return that package or whatever it was you're supposed to do for your wife. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I think I'm going to be late, but hey, story, oh, well, of, your, right? story of your life. <laughs> okay. Well, that is going to be it for us today. So we just need to thank our partners who do help us keep this show on the air. Thank you to Sitka Gear, Redneck Blinds, Huntera Maps, Yeti Coolers, Ozonics, Carbon Express, Maven Optics, and the Whitetail Institute of North America. And of course, thank you all for listening today. I hope you have a very Merry Christmas and a happy holiday season. And until next time, stay wired to hunt. Hey, if you guys like to cook outdoors and you ought to, you should check out the Weber Slate Rust Resistant Griddle. So this is a carbon steel cooktop that's safe for metal tools. It's pre-seasoned with food-safe oils and ready to cook on right out of the box. It's the griddle that stays ready, not rusty. This griddle heats evenly edge to edge, reaching all the way up to 500 degrees. Get fired up for your new Weber Slate rust-resistant griddle. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules 
from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase.